This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com/fool. It's Thursday, October 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, investor at large Tim Hansen. Happy Thursday. Hey, thanks. You're in a good mood. You're a Cleveland Indians fan. Well, by marriage. By marriage, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm living vicariously. You know what? Congrats. What a nice year for Cleveland. If, if you're a Cleveland sports fan, 2016 is fantastic. I don't even remember you have a football team. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It doesn't. It doesn't because the you're Cavaliers. It's going to transition straight from baseball to basketball season. <laughs> Isn't it a little weird that Cleveland does not have a hockey team? I feel like that's a big. Uh, that, they that's do a, have the minor league Lake Erie Monsters. I feel like they should have a major league hockey team. You know, as opposed to Columbus. Sure. Not not a knock on Columbus. Also but a lovely town. Also, yeah, it is. A, I hear that. I've never been there. That's so nice. Have you been to the Ohio State University? I have, I have. Na- uh, yeah. Nice campus, all that. Um, you know, the campus at Ohio State. I mean, the, the neighborhood around Ohio State and Columbus is a little, is a little. You know, it's students. It's a lot of student housing. You know yeah. How, you know how that is. Yes. I haven't gone to college. Yes. Uh, but downtown Columbus, very lovely. Isn't there some nice river trail? Didn't some restaurant chain start in Columbus? Uh, Bob Evans is headquartered there, I believe. No, I'm thinking of something else. Something else? Uh, someone's going to email and they're going to be all There's a really angry. good hot dog place in Columbus. Really? Yeah. And they're also famous for their sour fried sauerkraut balls, which are delicious. I'm not interested in sauerkraut, but if you put it in a ball and fry it, I'll give that a shot. Yeah, and with a beer? It's a good combo. All right, we're done here. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Uh, We're going to talk international banks. We're going to talk retail. We'll talk toys. Let's start with eBay. Third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. They lowered guidance for the fourth quarter, and the stock is down 10%. And I I talked about this uh, the other day with Bill Barker. I, I look at the degree to which this company has lowered guidance. To a very small degree, they have lowered their guidance for the fourth quarter. The stock down ten percent. That I'm tempted to say that's an overreaction, but you know better than I do. When you look at this company, does that seem reasonable? Maybe, maybe. Um, it's interesting. You know, eBay and, and and PayPal split apart recently, so it's taken out that sort of payments juggernaut that they have, and now eBay is sort of a standalone e-commerce business. <clears throat> What's interesting about the e-commerce space, I think, is that. You know, you go back, go back ten years, and there were a lot of a lot of e-commerce players, right? You had, uh, you know, of course, Amazon, um, eBay. Uh, you know, and then you had websites from different retailers, Walmart, Target, Costco, so on and so forth. Then you had like niche things like um, Blue Nile, which did jewelry, Red Envelope, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, you know, fast forward over the past decade. And a lot of those niche players have gotten pushed out, or their results have deteriorated quite substantially. And it's it's almost as though you know, looking forward another 10, 20 years, you know, I think the question is: Is online commerce is it a winner take all market? Like, is it Amazon or bust? You know, and if you're not Amazon, are you losing? Um, you know, I think that that sort of play it forward mentality. The market, of course, is forward looking. You know, a, a small reduction in eBay's guidance can lead to people making broader conclusions about the future of eBay. Obviously you're heading into the holiday season when most of these companies are gonna make their are gonna try to make their hay. Um, but you know, it's an interesting question. You, you you would think that the internet would support the proliferation of myriad competitors just because the cost of doing business can be pretty low. Obviously managing inventory is tough, but putting up a website and doing that is 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 pretty lightweight. 
um, a lot of operating levers there. But more and more, it seems like it's a uh, a winner take all market. You think back a couple of years to when PayPal was very much the driver for eBay. There were a lot of people looking at eBay and saying, "Gosh, that that, that PayPal business that they've got is really, really nice for them." And then. Leading into the split, it really did seem like the marketplace business for eBay had strengthened, or certainly, or or maybe was just being managed better. It was mm-hmm. the 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 story every quarter was less. Wow, the bright spot for eBay is PayPal, and it was much more. Hey, PayPal continues to chug along, but the marketplace business is is starting to do well too. And I think that. When there was the split, a lot of the optimism around eBay post-split was due to how the marketplace business had performed over the you know the two years leading into the split. Um, to the point you just made, it really does seem like, well, now now the spotlight is completely on it, and heading into the all-important holiday quarter, uh, there's. There's a lot more pressure. Yeah, eBay's done a lot of work to try to update their marketplace business and shed that image as sort of being like a goofy auctions place to buy Beanie Babies or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I want this one collector's item thing. Yeah. I, I can't find it on Amazon. I'll look on eBay. Right. Um, you know, but ultimately, you know, bidding in itself is sort of inconvenient. Like it's kind of fun. It was a fun construct when people would won when they won, they they got to buy something. Um, but ultimately, I think it loses out in convenience and speed. You know, they've done a lot of work to try to make their business, um, you know, more search engine friendly, uh, to make it more convenient, to make it a little bit less goofy and 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 quirky. But you know, it's hard to it's hard to shed what your heritage is, um, and and you know, it's an impediment I think to to their growth. Mattel shares are close to a 52-week high after the company put up some nice revenue growth in the fourth quarter. And earlier in the week, uh, we talked about Hasbro and how the girls' division for Hasbro was really getting it done. And that appears- well, they picked up those uh, Frozen licenses yes. from the, from the old Disney. Yeah, that, yeah. W- that worked out nicely for them. Um, it appears to be uh, the same story with Mattel, though, when you look at how uh, how key. American Girl and Barbie were for this latest. Yeah, quarter. they picked up the. I think expectations were tempered on account of losing those Disney licenses. Um, yeah, the first the first few quarters after they gave up those licenses were pretty brutal for yeah, Mattel. Yeah, um, but Barbie, you know, Barbie came back had a, had a pretty good uh, quarter. American Girl was also strong, uh, and they gave pretty optimistic guidance about the holiday season. So obviously, when you have a quarter that's disproportionately important to you, and you give good guidance about it, the market is going to react positively. I think that's what you see happening in Mattel right now. Uh, before we get to our next story, I got to say a word about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. If you've ever bought a home, you've bought a home. You you know how you know what a pain doing a mortgage is. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that could be the tagline for Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> it's like, look, getting a mortgage sucks. We're gonna help you. I'm happy to be the pitch man on that <laughs> if they want me. Uh, Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. They take all the complicated, time-consuming parts. Out of the equation, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button and get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. And you can do it all on your phone or tablet. And it doesn't suck. That's, that's really the key point for Rocket Mortgage. We're going to help this whole process not suck for you. So, if you're one of those people who's looking to buy a home or refinance your mortgage, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. 
Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Tough third quarter for Bladex, the Panamanian bank. Uh, operating revenue down, net income down 25%. Uh, the stock is down about 8%. I'm how bad is this? Because I'm one, I'm looking at these you know sort of basic numbers and I'm wondering, is the stock being down eight percent an underreaction? Should it be down more? So this is probably not a company most people have heard of, um, but it's one I follow pretty closely. So I, I forced you to talk about it on the, no, on, no. on the podcast. Um, no, so it's, anytime I think we can mix it up. Panamanian trade banks. Now is the time. You, you know, know what? I would rather talk about Bladex than pretty much any big bank on Wall Street. <laughs> so you know, this is, it's interesting. Like the headline numbers look bad. And uh, what, what's interesting is if you dig into it, is you know they're rolling over a, a, a third quarter 2015 result that included a bunch of one-time trading gains that they made. So you back that out, and on an apples to apples basis, um, it's not as bad as it looks. Um, and then additionally, you know on a sequential basis, you know Q2 16 to Q3 16, um, it looks like things actually got better. Uh, you know net interest margin got wider, provisioning went down. Um, their uh, non-accrual loans stayed stable, and their coverage ratio went up. So, to the extent that you know there's economic turmoil in Latin America, and the bank is shrinking its balance sheet a little bit and taking you know being more prudent about risk, it looks like from the that management kind of has their arms around the situation. But what's so fascinating about a company like this is you know Panama is technically not a classified market, so Vladex isn't held in any funds or ETFs or anything like that. It's not in any indexes, so it's a pretty. Why is it not? Classified it, because it doesn't meet the criteria for being um, developed, uh, emerging, or frontier. It's just sort of left out in the cold. Wow, which is interesting, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a non-trafficked place in the investing world. And then, additionally, there aren't very many analysts who cover the stock. And I think when you when when you have those dynamics against each other, you know, the headline risk like that can be a little bit more disproportionately effective uh, on the stock. So, uh, you know, I, I think you know, trade. Globally, continues to be increasing. It's going to continue to increase in Latin America. Blodex is a, you know, it's a bank that has a, a track record for managing risk in what is a volatile environment, but executing a long-term growth strategy along the way. So I think it's a pretty interesting opportunity and an interesting one to take a look at. Um, but just I thought calling out, you know, the idea that when not a lot of people are looking at a company, and you can dive in just a little bit deeper, you know, take out those one-time gains from last year, you know, look at things sequentially in addition to year over year, pull out the key variables, you can sort of find. Information that the market may not be onto yet. Um, the ticker symbol, if you're interested, is is BLX. Couple of questions: Is this so? You talked about the the trading gains that they had made last year. Um, <coughs> it, how would you compare Bladex to the average bank on Wall Street in terms of transparency? Is it for someone who's just sort of getting interested in or starting to look at banks? Is it easier? To evaluate Bladex than it is Goldman Sachs, where there's always sort of a black box aspect to the way that they make money. Totally, it is. Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. One, it's smaller. Anytime a bank is smaller, it's going to be easier to analyze. You know, I think <clears throat> I'm not sure if this is true any longer, but at one point, I think other was the largest line on the asset side of Wells Fargo's balance sheet. So, like <laughs> other. Thanks. You know, <laughs> how's that, that other business going for you? That's good. Um, uh, additionally, what makes Bladex interesting is that uh, it specializes in trade finance. So, if you, trade finance is basically, you know, let's say you're Brazil, and I'm Argentina, and we're 
we have merchants trading together. Our border is not as fluid as, let's say, the border between Germany and Switzerland. So um, it may be the case that I'm not sure if you're trying to ship me something, it's going to take a while to get there. It has to clear customs, it has to go over some um, poor infrastructure, what have you. Um, now, as the guy selling the things, I want to get paid. But as the guy receiving the things, I don't want to pay until I get them. So who's going to cover the money while it's in transit? So basically, that's what Blotix does. It says, all right, we'll pay the seller, and then we'll get our money from the buyer when everybody's happy with it, and they take a little bit of interest for doing that. But you know, the average rate of those duration on those loans is very short. You know, most of the portfolio is less than six months. So, you know, how long does it take to determine if a thirty-year mortgage is going to go bad? Could take a while, you know. And we don't have, a, you know, as we know from the global financial crisis, people didn't have a lot of insight into as these mortgages turned bad, what was going to happen to them. You know, gauging how a six-month duration portfolio is hap- going, you can gauge it on a six-month basis, and and some of the stuff is even shorter duration than that. So that makes it easier because you're getting more data points more often. And whenever you're getting more data more often, there's less guesswork involved, and that's that's what I think makes it a little bit easier to analyze. Um, yeah. In terms of, uh, we, you had touched on the Latin American uh, economies sort of struggling. Is is that a region? Is it, is it fair to assume, and this is just a gross generalization, but is it fair to assume that um, as those economies become stronger, Bloddex is, if not 100%, certainly a winner, it is, it is most likely a winner as a result of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there are a lot, a lot of challenges facing Latin America today. I mean, not to paint too broad a brush on it because different countries have different problems. Um, You know, but you know, the the downturn in the commodities has hasn't helped Latin America. Um, You know, corruption and bureaucracy in Brazil hasn't helped the largest economy in Latin America, and obviously that's a drag. So, you know, they they do trade finance as trade picks up, consumption picks up. the global economy improves. Let's say commodities get consumed. Food is a big export out of Latin America. Those are all things that Blodex would would help facilitate organic growth for the company. Um, so yeah, economic activity is is good for a trade bank. Uh, last question, and then I'll let you go. Um, talk to me about the management. Is this is this a management team that's been in place for a while? You had mentioned that they're good at managing risk. That's obviously yeah, it, a, a, a key <laughs> factor in all of this. So it's interesting. It, it's a really interesting backstory. Um, so Blodex was set up by the various central banks of Latin America. And the reason it's in Panama and not in Sao Paulo or Brasilia is because they wanted it to be in a place where it was independent and untouchable from, you know, sort of political influence so that the bank would be free to judge risk in a uh, fair way rather than be forced to lend to Venezuela, for example, something along those lines. Um, you know, the central banks continue to be voting shareholders or on the board. There's a very... Um, transparent risk framework by which the bank can make loans and decide what its country and industry exposures are going to be. And that's all laid out for shareholders to read. Um, management, the CEO uh, is, a, is a guy named Ruben. Um, he came in a few years ago after taking over for a longtime CEO. Um, you know, it, it, it's a bank management team, which means, you know, generally speaking, you want your bank manager to be as boring as possible. <laughs> the more exciting they are, yeah. the more risk you're going to As an investor, you want them to be boring. <laughs> You want to fall asleep when you have lunch with them, um, and, and yeah, and it's a very it's a, it's a plain vanilla bunch. You know, they've got designs on um, increasing fee income by doing more 
letters of credit rather than having to make loans, for example. That's one of their growth drivers. Um, but you know, the best way to judge a bank is to look at the balance sheet and the results as they navigate different operating situations. Plotus has a very long track record. Um, and you know, thankfully or not for the people who, who live there, there has been more than enough volatility in Latin America over the last 20 years <laughs> to see how the bank has reacted during various cycles. And they've been pretty prudent about shrinking their balance sheet when they don't see opportunity and growing it when they do. And, um, you know, you know, the biggest challenge is to sacrifice growth and pull back when it doesn't look like your growth is going to be profitable. A lot of banks struggle with that. Um, you know, big, sophisticated banks here in the United States struggled with that and continue to. So I think that speaks volumes about the kind of work that that small team is, is doing down there in Panama City. Thanks for being here. Thank you, man. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.